Welcome to Tough Cookie Talks. I'm your host, Jenna Josephowski, but you can call me Jenna J. I'm a semi-retired professional dancer, dance teacher, and yoga teacher, turned certified personal trainer and kettlebell instructor who helps active women learn to lift and get strong with equal parts challenge and compassion. After years of working in the fitness industry, I got sick and tired of watching people, including myself, run themselves into the ground trying to uphold the narrow-minded image of what our culture sees as healthy and fit. But instead of giving it all up, I decided that I'd rather change the game call out the BS, extract the good, and help others learn to use movement as a way to build themselves up rather than tear themselves down. On this podcast, we'll explore the intersection of fitness and anti-diet culture and all the gray areas in between. We'll let go of shoulds and judgments and dig into tough conversations with curiosity. Things get pretty spicy around here, so grab your headphones and let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to Tough Cookie Talks. Today, I'm excited to share an episode with you and a conversation that I feel like we just didn't know that we all needed to hear. Today, I am talking to Laura Jawad, who is a pregnancy and postpartum personal trainer and birth doula who helps people feel stronger and confident in their changing bodies. So Laura's journey in navigating her own pregnancies and difficult postpartum recoveries opened her eyes to the major gaps in care offered to birthing parents. She left her role as a PhD trained scientist to become a coach and a researcher source that she needed during those vulnerable years. So today she does more than simply program workouts. She helps people recognize pregnancy and postpartum as pivotal opportunities to grow strong and thrive. And as a coach and a content expert with over five years exclusively focused on pregnancy and postpartum, she's on a mission to destigmatize conversations around birthing bodies and pelvic health. Laura holds certifications as a Girls Gone Strong certified pregnancy and postpartum coach, and as a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. You can learn more about Laura and read her blog, Bumps and Bells, at laurajawad.com, and I will link to all of her stuff in the show notes. Now, I will say this. In her bio, we talk a lot about pregnancy and postpartum, but this conversation is really about so much more than just that. We go a little bit deeper and talk about transitions in general in our lives that apply not just to things like pregnancy and postpartum, but also when you're dealing with a difficult health diagnosis. Laura shares a bit about her diagnosis and recovery from breast cancer, and we talk a lot about the other ways that this shows up in our lives from everything from injuries to menopause and really everything in between. I found personally that not only for myself, but a lot of my clients are just finding themselves bumping up against some really hard shit in their lives, in our lives, that can make you feel really hopeless and make you feel like it's really hard to overcome. But Laura did such a great job of talking about the idea of making a comeback and how we can not only, or I guess not even go back to where we were, but rather learn so much about ourselves and our bodies and really try to build a strong foundation and move forward to whatever is next for us when we're navigating those tough transitions in life. After I stopped recording our conversation. We kept talking and I was sharing a little bit about how 
a lot of times when we find ourselves injured or we find ourselves sick or navigating any number of the shit sandwiches that the world can throw at us, it can feel really hopeless and it can feel like you're really stuck. And in this episode, she talks about um, the analogy of going on a bear hunt, that like children's story, I guess, you know, like you're going on a bear hunt, can't go under it, can't go over it, gotta go through it. I don't even remember if I'm doing that right, but it made me think of something that I've said to clients often, which sometimes we forget, which is when we're dealing with something that is not working well in our lives and our bodies, it's really easy to focus on that one thing and be like, oh, I hurt my foot right now. This is me dealing with plantar fasciitis. It's like, my foot hurts. I'm having a hard time. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. It really sucks. Uh, But we forget sometimes about all the other parts of us or all the other things that are working well. And in finding a way to shift our focus away from the thing that totally sucks onto a broader perspective of all the things that maybe are doable for us, it can open up so many different possibilities for us in our lives when it comes to making that comeback from the tough shit. And I think that's really beautiful. I was also talking about after I stopped the recording, sometimes the creativity that that can breed. And I was sharing it, uh, I guess, in reference to me being a dance teacher. So I was talking about how this year the studio I teach at is doing a themed recital, as dance studios often do. And this year the theme is sugar and spice. And I could sit here as the dance teacher choreographing dances and be like, ah, sugar and spice. That's such a narrow theme. I can't do this song. I can't do this song. I really want to dance to this song. And now I can't because it doesn't relate to the theme. And we can get so frustrated. But sometimes in those moments, we can kind of take ourselves in a completely different direction. In the case that I did as a dance teacher went down these rabbit holes where I was able to search for and find all of these songs that magically related to sugar and spice and somehow stumbled upon choreographing a dance that I'm loving right now to spice up your life by the Spice Girls. And it's super fun. And I never would have thought to choreograph that if it weren't for kind of those restrictions around everything else. Why am I sharing that? All is to say is that in many cases, if we're willing to look at whatever hand we're dealt and figure out what we can do with that situation versus focusing on what we can't, the outcomes for us and the possibilities for us to move forward in a really positive way are exponential. And I think that is really exciting in the face of hard times. So all that is to say, without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Laura. Hey, Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jenna. I'm super stoked to be here. I'm so excited to have you today. We're going to talk about so many good things, but before we get started, tell us about you. Who are you? What do you do? How did you come to be doing all of the lovely things that you're doing today? Tell us all about it. Okay. Um, 
I will, I will dive in, but you'll have to stop me if I start, if I start spiraling down a tangent. Um, So I am a personal trainer for pregnancy or sorry for pregnant and postpartum people. Um, And so I help people stay active during pregnancy and then prepare for their strongest postpartum recovery. And um, I would say it is my mission to make sure people don't feel like pregnancy postpartum are reasons why they can't go on to do all the things, at least when it comes to physicality right? I don't want those to be a roadblock. Um, I've been doing this work since, um, 2017 and, um, this job, this career spiraled out of, um, my own experience as someone going through their first pregnancy and postpartum and navigating a return to exercise with prolapse. Um, before this, I was in academia. So I call myself a recovering academic. Ah, um, I love it. Yeah, I'm a PhD trained scientist with a degree in oceanography. So no the thing way. I, I know that about yeah, you. That's so cool. Yeah, the thing I did before this was quite, quite different. Yeah. Um, but I um I dug so deep during my own recovery and I loved everything that I was learning and doing and feeling. And I just became really passionate about sharing that with other people. So that's how I ended up here. I love that. And that's so interesting to hear that. I mean, number one, you coming from that, I guess, completely different career path, but then also kind of using your own journey as a springboard to the work that you're doing. I found myself in a similar situation to where I actually did. And I I think I maybe did one or some of the same pre-postnatal certifications that you did um, because I was curious about navigating my own pregnancy and postpartum. So that's very, very cool that you came to that. One of the things that we're talking about today is what it means to make a comeback. And that can come in a number of different ways. I know you were just talking about doing that when it comes to making a comeback postpartum, but also navigating all of life's tough transitions. And I know you've certainly been through quite a few of those in recent years. Would you be willing to share more of your experience with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So obviously the thing that I opened with, I've had two babies in the last six years. So those have been um, quite big transitions. Um, But then on top of that, I also went through a breast cancer diagnosis and year of treatment, um, chemotherapy, double mastectomy and radiation. And so, you know, the year that I was living through that and then the months since I've been out of active treatment have been a, um, have been a big reset starting over point for me as well. Yeah. And I feel like I could ask you so many, so many different questions about that, but I think, I think that we'll get to some of that in sharing, I guess, like your journey about making a comeback and how you help your clients navigate that. But are you doing well now? Like, how are you? Yeah, no, I'm doing, I'm doing great. So I've been out of active treatment since last August. Uh And, um, you know, the one thing that's still on my horizon is my breast reconstruction. So Mm -hmm. I still have tissue expanders in place, Uh which like impact me physically day to day, um, Mm -hmm. because they're not the most comfortable, but in terms of like actual treatment, um, that is kind of in the rear view mirror. And at this point I feel good still dealing with like a little bit of residual fatigue, but more or less feel like myself. 
That's amazing. I'm so happy that that was the case for you. I feel like I remember, I remember when you got that diagnosis because I remember seeing it on Instagram, but I also feel like it was such a whirlwind, like all the past, like, I mean, we all feel this way the past, like what, three, four years, however long Mm -hmm. it's been, I feel like are a blur because the first time I met you, I think you were pregnant with your second Mm -hmm. baby um, because it was at the Ignited Summit in Seattle. Was that 2019? Yep. Yep. During the big snowstorm. Yeah. And then, yeah, during the big snowstorm and then, and then lockdown happened. And then at some point your baby was born and navigating all that and then pandemic stuff and then the breast cancer diagnosis and then coming back from that, like, holy shit, you know, a thing or two about making a comeback. And you've mentioned treating transitions as opportunities rather than roadblocks. Now, of course, I love this idea. I love it. Um, Side note, I talk about this a lot. I'm an Enneagram 7. So basically, I just love to make lemonade out of lemons. It's my favorite. But I want you to tell me more about your thoughts on this. What would it look like if we used these setbacks like pregnancy, postpartum, um, menopause, illnesses, things like that as launch pads to do things differently and potentially even better? That's something that I've heard you mention. Yeah. Um, I think that the the line is, cl- is certainly clear with kind of the, I'll put this in like big fat quotes, like the normal physiologic transitions like pregnancy, postpartum, menopause. Um, I do consider illness somewhat of a physiologic transition because, you know, 20% of women get breast cancer, 20% of women, you know, develop, you know, thyroid disease or other illnesses that cause them to stop, take stock and reset. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, to some extent, these illnesses are, um, you know, predictable parts of being a woman, right? And I'm sure that's, that's controversial. And that's like another rabbit hole we could go down. But in terms of um, talking specifically about more of the hormonal transitions, um, you know, we, we do, we tend to look at what we've lost when we go through pregnancy and postpartum, right? We mm. try and get our bodies back. We try to get back to our pre-baby body. Um, during menopause, we talk about the fatigue, like the loss of power, like the weight gain. We talk about all these like more unsavory sides of all of these things. Um, but postpartum was the first experience for me that certainly changed my thinking about this because when I was recovering from that first pregnancy and when I was contending with that prolapse, it really forced me to go back to the drawing board and learn about my body in a way that I never had right. And develop a connection to my core and my pelvic floor in a way that I never had. And what happened is I came out of that experience stronger than I was going into it because I had started from scratch and built a foundation, you know, the right, let's just say the right way. Yeah. In a way that I had, right. And I think if we use these transitions as opportunities to make that reset, figure out what foundation we need to build and figure out how to use those times optimally to 
recover well, maybe take advantage of where our body is at, I think we can make these really strong comebacks. Yes. I, I, I'm just so on board. I'm so on board with all of this. I love what you said about, um, you know, we have these ideas, like, especially postpartum that you want to get your body back. One of the things that I said after I had my son is that I don't necessarily want to get my body back. I wanted to move forward to whatever, whatever was next. And I think, I think even saying that in some ways, like some people might disagree with me or think that it, that's like controversial to not just be like in acceptance or in a place of like, okay, well, this is my body now and this is what it is. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you're happy in that place. But for me, I had all these big aspirations of like things that I wanted to be able to get back to doing that I loved. And so it was less about the like, what's back there? How can we return to that? And more about like, what's possible moving forward. And I just agree with you a hundred percent about building that strong foundation because a lot of times thinking about like the little like nitty gritty details, like you talk about, you know, like pelvic floor stuff and that deep connection with your core and your pelvic floor and like the breath work and all of the really subtle things. That's not necessarily like the sexy thing. You know what I mean? That's not the most exciting or the thing that people are like, hell yeah, I want to do that. People are just like, I don't know, wanting to do burpees on a BOSU. Or whatever. Yeah, there's so much power in it though. Um, I have, you know, a client that I had worked with for almost two years and she made a comment to me that just made my coach's heart so happy. Um, she was at a climbing gym and she was watching people fall off the wall. And she said, you know, I look at that and I know exactly what is going on, right? Like they oh. just don't know how to engage their whole body. They don't know how to engage their core. Right. And they're falling off. And she's like, and I used to do that too. Right. Until I learned how to tap into my core and engage it and use it. And I just loved that she was able to look at what was going on there and see it for what it was. Right. And then be able to recognize that all of that foundational work that she did was making her better climber, um, was making her a better athlete because it's not sexy. Right. I mean, it's, it's not, but it is so valuable and it's such low hanging fruit. Right. And it's the same. I don't think what you're talking about is exclusive to just like figuring out how to properly engage your core or figuring out how to connect with your pelvic floor, but we could, you know, take this in so many different ways. I'm even thinking right now, I'm currently in physical therapy, dealing with some plantar fasciitis that will not die. Um, But damn, I am learning so much about my body in the process in a way that's really cool that I'm going to be able to take back and then like help my clients and then hopefully like help myself and be a little bit more resilient if this thing ever happens again. Yeah. Um. Side note, I love physical therapy. Um, I'm one of those people who will like max out their benefits every year because yeah. I learn so much from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's that part of, um, you know, seeing the opportunity in any injury, in any setback, right. You can learn so much about yourself. Um, if you embrace that aspect of it. Yeah. 
And I think it's tricky because I know this isn't typically a lot of people's like natural tendency or their go-to mindset. How did you come to this? Were you always wired this way, do you think? I definitely was not always wired this way. I mean, I think of myself as like a pretty like cynical person. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And at some point, you know, I, I don't even think I noticed this about myself until I got my breast cancer diagnosis. And I was, you know, like devastated, of course. And after sitting in that, I was like, well, okay, I guess I'm going to learn how to recover from breast cancer now. Yeah. Um, and I was almost excited about that piece, right. Just in terms of kind of like the, like academic interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely, I, yeah, I definitely have a history of being more cynical, but I think, I think the experience of going through that first postpartum recovery and coming out of it, just a stronger athlete, you know, I was, I went into that pregnancy doing a lot of triathlon, doing a lot of running, doing a lot of kettlebell strength. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got pregnant with my son, I was lifting heavier and running faster than I was before I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I think that experience was just super profound for me. Um, especially because I was so devastated when I got that prolapse diagnosis. And it was um, such a slap in the face when, you know, at six weeks I had like this new Garmin on my wrist and my new running shoes. And I like, I went out for a run and it just felt so shitty. Oh, so you didn't realize it until like six weeks out? No, I mean, like you just, you just kind of like feel like crud for those first couple of weeks. Right. And, um, you know, I had no idea like what was normal or not normal. I just knew that at six weeks I could start running again. Yeah. And so I did, and it did not feel very nice. Um, and so that, you know, then I found my way into pelvic floor PT and, you know, that's where I started to learn what was going on. Yeah. But I also wasn't willing to just not run anymore or just not lift anymore. Like that was not, that was not an option for me. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, I think it's one of those, like, I mean, I can, I can use language on your podcast, right? Like, I mean, it's just like one of those like shit or hot moments where it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to learn how to work with this. Yeah. Because like, I'm going to do these things again. Yeah. And I think that's something that we really need more professionals that are talking to people about, because I think a lot of times we get these all or nothing mindsets around things. And like everybody that listens to this knows, like I am all about busting through the all or nothing mindset where it's like, well, I have prolapse now, so I guess I can never run again. But I think the beauty is when you get somebody like yourself, who is a trainer, who's able to help somebody work up to that, or even like a physical therapist to the degree when, you know, the care that they need is out of our scope of practice as trainers that, yeah, it might not look like that initially, but when you build that strong foundation, it can come. It just has, we have to be patient, I think, which is so fucking hard and infuriating sometimes, but how would you advise somebody who is not having an easy time seeing these things? Because I know that there's probably one of my lovely listeners right now that's like going through a rough patch where they've just got a diagnosis or they're dealing with some shit in their life and they are in that like pit of despair and they're like, yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah. Um, What would you say to somebody in that moment? 
So two, so two things. So one, I would say it's absolutely okay to sit in that pit of despair for some amount of time, right? Like, um, I was thinking about this book recently, you know, the going on a bear hunt and it's like, you can't go, you can't go over it. You can't go around it. Like you've got to go through it. Yeah. It's right. I, that book popped into my head the other day and I was like, did they write that about postpartum? Um, I love it. But, but I think to some extent you have to sit, you have to sit in it. You can't skip that step. And then at some point there's an inflection where you can take the reins, you can take control again, and you can start moving forward. Right. And so, you know, one piece of it is allow yourself that time to mourn whatever it is that you're diagnosed with or healing from. But then at some point, figure out where you can take control. And the other thing, the other thing I like to tell people is that when you receive a diagnosis, that's your starting line. Mm. That's not the finish line. Yeah. The starting line. And you still have all of the interventions, all of the rehabilitation, all of the opportunities lie in front of you. And so with prolapse, as an example, being diagnosed at, you know, whatever it was like six or eight weeks postpartum with a prolapse, it's okay. Like, okay, this is, this is the starting line. Yeah. It only gets better from here and you have to, and it's going to take as long as it takes. Right. And so that's, that's the piece that you can't handy coat. It's going to take some time, mm-hmm. but if you're willing to treat it as a starting line and keep your eye on the prize, there is so much opportunity there. Right. And I think to your point, I love the bear hunts. I, 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 I just love analogies like that. I think that's such like a wonderful metaphor for life because a lot of times we think like, oh, well, like you have to go over it, but like, I hope I'm remembering the story. Right. Cause that's in my mind. It's like, there's all these obstacles. Yeah, like can't go yeah. over it. Can't yeah. go under it. Like, yeah. and then they, they wind up figuring out a way eventually. But one thing that I tell my clients a lot is when you're trying to get from point A to point B, the only way out is through. And sometimes that means sitting in the pit of despair, but sometimes that means like doing the work in the pit of despair. And that can mean like, we were actually, a lot of my clients, interestingly enough, have all been on this kind of kick where they want to improve their cardiovascular fitness, but a lot of them also have this like shame around feeling out of breath doing certain activities. Like I shouldn't feel this tired doing this, but the kicker is kind of like in order to feel less out of breath doing that thing, you have to do things that get you out of breath. Yeah. You know, same is true for I mean, getting out of nearly any situation, if you want to get out of the suck, sometimes you just have to like be in the suck. Yeah. Getting comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's so hard, but I think it's important in life and also like in any kind of training you're doing, you know, strength training or otherwise. Um, But I also want to talk about navigating this, um, which is kind of tricky, I think, without dipping into like the realm of toxic positivity, because we both know that there are some very real barriers that come up for people when it comes to like, quote unquote, making lemonade out of these kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. And some of them are systemic and they're out of our control, especially if you're coming from a place of less privilege. And that can feel even trickier 
when you're in that place because, you know, you're trying to navigate it and it's like, maybe you don't have access to a pelvic floor physical therapist where you live or your insurance doesn't cover it or you don't have insurance or, you know, that's just one example among many. And also for some people, it isn't necessarily all about that. And it's more about like a fixed mindset that keeps us stuck. I think it's a little bit of both and sometimes, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm going to have like the absolute best answer here, but I would say one is, you know, allowing, allowing that time to mourn, right? Like not trying to skip that, like not trying to pretend something didn't happen because it did. Yeah. Right. That you have to, you have to own that moving forward. But then I think as part of moving forward, as part of making any kind of comeback, if that's what we want to call it, that doesn't mean it's going to look exactly like it did, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're looking forward at what can you do now, right? Like how can we make the most of what you have now? And so not trying to erase what has happened. Um, Obviously that's, that's, that's kind of a different scenario than, you know, for someone who has like a lack of resources, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's a tough, that's also like a tough situation. Right. And I think looking at what is maybe one thing that you can do to move forward, right? Like what is one thing you can do, even if it's not like, even if you don't have access to using the example of pelvic floor physical therapist, mm-hmm. what is one thing you can do? Is there like, you know, is there an online resource that -hmm. you can take advantage of? Um, Is there any other kind of professional you can take advantage of? Is there anyone that you can reach out to who can support this? Um, I think those are almost maybe two different things, maybe not, but, but yeah, there's, there's absolutely barriers and I don't think we can pretend those barriers don't exist. And Mm -hmm. I hope that that's not the goal either. Right. Right. And I think, I think kind of to your point there, I think there are a lot more people that are willing, especially now. And maybe this is me being like super hopeful or optimistic because I just know a lot of really cool people out there um, that are willing to lend a hand and help you to remove those barriers Mm. when when they're in that place for you, whether that's offering like, you know, scholarship or like sliding scale services or whether it's making a connection right now, I'm thinking about an experience that I had with one of my dance students that had graduated from high school and was just dealing with some like mental health stuff and lack of insurance and accessibility and things like that. And like as her former dance teacher, I couldn't necessarily help her with that, but she reached out to me and was able to talk to me about that. And then I was able to talk to another teacher at our studio who was a therapist locally who was able to set her up with some um, like services in the community that she didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I guess moral of the story, I'm going off on a tangent here. I like to think that there are a lot more people out there willing to help remove those barriers when they do exist. But like, damn, sometimes it's just so hard not to get stuck 
and that mindset where it's like, oh, like everything sucks now. And sometimes the people that are supposed to be there to help us kind of make it worse. Um, And I can give an example of that. I think about sometimes like the fear mongering language. And I don't know if you experienced this um, either in your like postpartum recovery or in your cancer recovery. The language sometimes that like medical professionals use that's like very pathologizing and I don't know, makes you think of yourself as like broken or like hopeless. I think a lot about some of the things that happen in physical therapy where people are like, like your knees are the worst that I've ever seen. They're bone on bone and you can never do a squat again. Or, you know, people coming back from like whatever, whatever sort of diagnosis they're having. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you'll never do this again. You'll never do that again. And I don't necessarily think it's helpful. I don't know what's your experience with all that. Yeah, I think, I mean, language is very, very powerful. And I, I try to make a real effort on my end to not use fear-mongering language. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's definitely, I, I find it to be an extremely fine line between educating mm-hmm. and stoking fear. Because yeah. education is so important because without education, people don't even know that there is help accessible, Mm -hmm. right? Like they don't know what their problem is yet. They just know something is wrong, right? And until they come across that resource that gives them that aha moment, they don't even know where to look for help, right? And so like the education piece is super important, Mm -hmm. um, but offering it in a way that inspires hope instead of stokes fear. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I am definitely cognizant of that in my own practice and in my own content that I create. I don't know if I do like the best job in the world of it, but it is something that is on my mind. And, you know, I'm, I try to be conscious of words I use, you know, I've steered away from using words like dysfunction. Yeah. Right. And instead I use words like compensation or consideration, mm-hmm. um, just in the same way, I mean, this just kind of ties back to something we mentioned at the beginning, like talking about illnesses as physiologic transitions. You know, at some point when enough people are experiencing a particular quote unquote dysfunction or illness, is it a dysfunction or is this just a normal part of the process? And maybe yeah. a savory one, but still it is like a normal expected part of the process that we have ways to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to use language to reflect that, but yes, I do short answer. I do think we do damage with our language. Um, Yeah. Did you think like in your experience, do you feel like anybody did anything that was like either super helpful or super harmful for you personally? like providers that you worked with? Um, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty in charge of my experience. Um, and so I don't think that I've had any providers who have materially impacted me in that way, but 
I have had like some kind of tangential firsthand experience. I took a course. I, I won't give the name of it because I don't want to be that person, but I took a, I took a certification course when I was starting out with a, I'm putting this in quotes, public floor professional. And I remember in one of the lectures, she was talking about prolapse and she made this face. And of course your listeners won't be able to see this, but she made this face. She goes, like, she kind of like shrieked back and she goes, Ooh, I wouldn't like to have that. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, at least that was to an audience of professionals, like people who are in that space and have probably heard it all. Right. Um, although that was towards one end of the spectrum for sure. But she's someone who is working with a lot of people with pelvic right. floor issues. And if if that's the attitude of the trainer training the trainers, we've got a problem. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think she is an exception. I mean, I work, I, you know, I've certainly taken a lot of high quality courses from people who I think are very careful about what they say. Yeah. um, I have definitely worked with clients who have gotten very bad advice from their medical providers. Same. Um, Especially when it's, you know, I would, I would say, when it is pelvic health advice coming from a primary care situation, like an OB or a midwife who's not specially trained, um, there's a lot of fear mongering advice there. Yes. Um, that's when I get people who are freaking out because they were told that they have to go get surgery for a diastasis or they have to go get surgery for a prolapse and like haven't even addressed like conservative treatment approaches yet. So in my direct experience, I haven't really encountered that harmful language, but I, I certainly see it. Yeah. I see it a lot with my clients too. And I think, um, and I'm sure you probably feel this way too. It's so hard when you know enough to know that like what the doctor is saying is not the end all be all, or is not even like fully correct or not even like within the doctor's scope of practice to be talking about, especially when it comes to like anything related to strength and conditioning, in my opinion. Um, but at the same time, like as the trainer, you don't really feel like you have the authority to give medical advice and, or argue with the doctor. You know what I mean? It's like, this is wrong, but it's also not like my lane to tell you what to do instead. That's a really tricky place to navigate. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people like, I don't want to contradict any advice your medical provider is giving you. But in my experience, I also know that these other conservative treatment approaches tend to be very effective. And so before you do anything, you know, drastic. Yeah. Go get a consult. Yes. It's right. If you're going to talk to a surgeon, talk to a physical therapist too, and get a second opinion. And so I'm not, I like, I never tell them not to listen to their medical provider, but I do steer people towards getting a second opinion. Yeah. And I think regardless of what advice you're getting, I think it's always worth a second opinion, especially if we're talking like major interventions like surgery. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause in a lot of, in a lot of cases, what happens is you get surgery and then you wind up having to do physical therapy anyway, which 
you could have maybe just gone like the physical therapy route or something more conservative to your point and, and gotten a similar result. So I don't know. All's to say is like second opinions are important and helpful. But one of the things that you've said is that that physiological transition is is a part of being a woman and I mean a part of being a human in general depending on what we're talking about but that we treat these transitions as pathologies rather than treating them as opportunities can you give some examples of how this might show up in people's experience yeah well I I think you know we've already danced around it a little bit with postpartum Right. I mean, pregnancy and postpartum, I can't think of like a more physiologic event, Mm, right? Creating life. Um, And we do pathologize them, right? Like we tell people what they can't do Mm -hmm. instead of helping them return to what they want to do. And in terms of the opportunity there, like I mentioned, I think that it is an opportunity to learn more about the state of your body post whatever event it is. Mm -hmm. I think you've also got opportunities in there to take a break from what you were doing, try some new things. You have an opportunity there to um, think, to dive into some of your other big rock habits and think about how those are impacting your health. Um, So pregnancy and postpartum, I think is a really clear example of that. And I think menopause is another really clear example of that, where sometimes you do have to really dramatic, you know, there's maybe not like a break in the same way there is with postpartum, but you do have to dramatically um, address the way you're doing things, right? Because often people start to develop symptoms that are frequently written off by medical professionals. Um, But menopause is an example of where you can work with your body and with the changes in your hormones to stay really strong and you can continue doing the things you want to do, but maybe you need to change what you're doing a little bit or the way you're doing it, the way you're addressing it, maybe some of these other habits um, so that you continue to feel strong and perform well. So I think rather than writing people off as they go through these phases, if we help them understand the changes their body went through yeah, for it. Yeah. And I think a lot about, um, and I know, I know that you mentioned like getting into some, some other things and exploring some different types of movements and hobbies and things like that. But I think about that all the time when, when we, I think when we get stuck in the all or nothing. And we have the idea that like exercise or training or movement or whatever, whatever you're doing needs to look a certain kind of way that that's because that's what you've always done. But maybe there are either like different, either different like styles of movement or different activities or different, um, I mean, different, like even within like one activity, like strength training, different exercises, that you can really kind of specialize in and and almost I, I don't know just improve in ways that you wouldn't have expected maybe if you couldn't do something else. Yeah. I mean I think my investment in strength training at this point is born from having to explore different activities while I was recovering from prolapse, right? Because I was doing kettlebell work and I was running and doing triathlon, but 
while I was recovering, I mean, recovering from, um, while I was learning to manage the prolapse, I think it's probably a better way of phrasing it. Um, I wasn't running. Yeah. So I was investing a lot more heavily in strength training, which is just infinitely adaptable to wherever you're at. Um, and also before my pregnancies, for example, I mean, I was training for a half Ironman. I was like, I would run a half marathon every weekend during the summer. Mm-hmm. I was going, you know, doing my kettlebell classes several times a week. I mean, it's absolutely smashing. Yeah. Body, right. And when you take that pause, it gives you an opportunity to reflect on it and say, okay, was that actually serving me well? Yeah. Is that what I need now? I mean, I find that now having gone through the two pregnancies, having, and being in recovery from cancer treatment, what serves me now is not what served me before. Mm-hmm. Right. I walk a lot now. Yeah. I walk. A- and before my pregnancies, I would have like, I, I would have been like very snotty about what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, but it, it's what feels really good in my body. And I think it's, you know, I think at one time in my life, for example, I craved intensity and I got it from exercise and sport. And Mm -hmm. at this particular stage in my life with cancer and with two young children and COVID and running a business, life gives me enough intensity. I don't need to get it from my sport. And so I look to more down training. I still strength train, but I do not smash my body anymore. Um, and I invest much more heavily in restorative activity. And so maybe that's one of the things that I got out of that opportunity is being able to reflect on that and learn that about myself and like find those activities that do mesh with my life better now. And it's not to say that these are the activities that I'm going to do forever. Like maybe I'll go back to some of those higher intensity things. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, I hope so. They were really, really fun, but I yeah. also it's just like not what I need right now. Well, that's interesting what you say about like your life serving you enough intensity. And I think that's really interesting. I was I was having a similar com- conversation with a client of mine earlier this afternoon, but like life does give us those different kind of inputs that we might be seeking from any kind of movement practice, right? Whether that's intensity or like mental stimulation or... um or fun or amusement or calm, like there are all sorts of things that you can get or different kinds of qualities that you can get from different types of movements that sometimes you just need to fill yourself up in different ways from that. And I think you're right. It's allowed to change and you're allowed to go through seasons and you're also allowed to like, not always be crushing it. Yeah. And, and that's been, that's been like a hard thing for me to accept. Mm, yeah. Right. And especially as being, being like a fitness professional, mm-hmm. right. Like I, I feel like we're kind of expected to show up a certain way. Yeah. And giving myself the grace and the, the options to say like, that's not, that's not what I need right now. Yeah. And I don't think that necessarily like, you know, fitness, first of all, side note, I think, I think that our clients need to see more of us showing that side where we're not always like in this perpetual pursuit of growth because sometimes, and I've had this conversation with my clients a lot where there's almost this like guilt or shame around not 
either either a not being in a place where you can pursue that like growth and improvements and like perpetual like PRs for everything. And also sometimes just like not giving a shit about it because you're focused on other things. And and I think that's okay to do any kind of activity for any reason, like even if it's lifting weights, simply because you prefer it to other activities, even if you're not trying to, you know, PR your overhead press today or whatever. I think there's still value in doing it anyway, whatever that value is that you get out of it. If you, if you enjoy it or you enjoy what it brings to your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess in regard to that, um, is there anything I talked about, like what I wish would be different or how we as fitness professionals approach this? What do you wish would change in regard to, you know, those transitions and, and how we treat all of this really? I wish that we normalized these periods of starting over. Mm. Yeah. I wish that we normalized this. Um, because I think that we do, we do just show the linear improvements and we tend to just demonstrate linear improvement. And I mean, as trainers, we're, we're trained to periodize things, right? Yes. Yeah. Kind of like life's big periodization. We're going to have periods where we are starting over where we are coming back we are deloading, but I don't think that we show those so much to you. You feel very alone when in fact, this is, this is life. It is, it is. And I love that you talked about that. And for those of you that aren't fitness professionals or know what periodization is, I talk about this a lot. When I talk about my idea of the strength savings account, Laura, have you heard me talk about the strength savings account? I don't think I have. Okay. So it's my, um, my half-baked idea. Like one one day I'll like patent it or whatever. Um, but it's literally talking about how a lot of us, I think we expect our progress to be to your point, like a linear arrow straight up to success. I can't speak success. And in reality, that progress looks a lot like, like a little tiny zig up and a little tiny zag down. And sometimes those zigs and zags are bigger but Mm -hmm. that's part of the process. Like there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. And I think if we could just expect that a little bit, maybe we would have an easier time coming back from it. Because I think when it comes to, when it comes to making those comebacks, you kind of need to experience it and not just experience it once, but experience it again and again in different ways to realize that it's possible for you. Well, and this is what, you know, I think, I think we've talked about this before when I say starting over as a skill, mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? With that. And I think like going back to like pregnancy postpartum, I think for a lot of people, that's the first time their linear progress takes that dip. Yes. And so it's the first time they're practicing starting over, but as life progresses, there's going, there's going to be maybe more pregnancies. There's going to be illness. There's going to be other situations that require us injuries. Yeah. There's going to be things that require us to take those breaks or force us to take those breaks. And then we start over again and 
you do get better at it. Mm-hmm. And I think like to kind of add to that, getting better at it and talking about my idea of the strength savings account, the idea is that like, as you do this, you know, as you strength train more, and I talk about it in regards to strength training, but it could be to working towards any skill that you're trying to work on. You do it more, you get more comfortable with it. You build up a stronger baseline so that when you reach that point where you're knocked down, And then you rebuild from a stronger foundation and you're knocked down again. You don't necessarily always fall quite so far. I love that. Yeah. And you build that trust in yourself. I think to know that like, okay, I've made it, I've made it through. I've come back from this thing before. And so now I'm here again at this roadblock and maybe it's the same thing and maybe it's a different thing, but I trust that I'll be able to come back from it again. And the only way to get to that place of coming back is to go through it, which is so sucky. Yeah. (sighs) What else? I feel very like that, that felt very cathartic. (laughs) What else do you want to add? Um, I don't know what I want to add. We covered so much. We really did. Um, Is there anything else you want the people to know or are there any like parting, parting words or like words of encouragement if somebody is going through some shit? Because I know inevitably there is somebody listening to this show right now that is going through a cancer diagnosis or some kind of other diagnosis or going through um, a recovery from pregnancy or going through an injury or any number of things. Yeah, I think I'll go back to some advice that I shared earlier in the conversation, which is that this is your starting line. Mm. This is not, this is not the end of the story. This is not the finish line. And there's so much ahead of you if you are open to the possibilities. Yes. Yes, and I will add to that just kind of embracing that process because sometimes getting to those possibilities is hard. What was that? Then go read the bear hunt. Go read the bear hunts. Go read the bear hunts. I'm going to go read the bear hunt. I feel like I need to get that for JJ now and like, just, I don't know, put it in the repertoire of, of bedtime reading, even though it's like mostly for me. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Okay. Laura, where can we find you and how can we work with you? Yeah. Awesome. You can find me. Um, my digital home is my website. So you can find me at laurajawad.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at laurajawadfitness. Um, and I offer one-on-one personal training and a self-paced postpartum return to exercise program called stronger postpartum. I love it. And are you, are you, if we're working with you for personal training, are you just in person locally where you are? Are you online also? I am online. Love it. Almost almost exclusively online. Love it. So we can work with you all across the land. Everywhere. I love it. And Laura, I will link to all of your goodies in the show notes so people know exactly where to find you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was a really good and I think conversation that we didn't know that we all needed to have. Thank you so much, Jenna. Thanks. 
That was such a needed conversation. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Laura as much as I did. As I mentioned, I will link to how you can work with Laura, how you can follow along with her work in the show notes. So please feel free to check that out. If you like this episode, as always, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Leave a five-star review. And if you have time, leave me a quick rating. It would mean the world and also helps this episode and conversations like this reach and hopefully inspire even more people. So go ahead and do that. Have a great day. Have a great week. And we'll talk soon. Thanks again for tuning into Tough Cookie Talks. I'm so glad you're here. If you want to learn more about me and how we can work together, visit my website, itsjennaj.com or follow and tag me on Instagram at itsjennaj. I would love to hear from you. If you like this episode and want to hear more, make sure you click subscribe and follow along so that you don't miss a single show. Then take a moment and leave me a five-star rating and review so that we can help this podcast and this message reach even more people. Have a great week and we'll talk soon.